I'm Bill S. Preston, Esquire. And I'm Ted Di Bill, here, you take it. Okay. And I'm Ted Theodore Logan. Yeah! Guess we use too much power. I like it. Ted, while I agree that in time our band will be most triumphant, the truth is Wild Stallions will never be a super band until we have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. Yes, Bill, but I do not believe we will get Eddie Van Halen until we have a triumphant video. Ted, it's pointless to have a triumphant video before we even have decent instruments. Well, how can we have decent instruments if we don't really even know how to play? That is why we need Eddie Van Halen. And that is why we need a triumphant video. Excellent! In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 220, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. This is the most bodacious podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, welcome to Verbal Diorama or welcome back to Verbal Diorama. Whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, whether you are a regular returning listener, whether you're just a huge fan of Wild Stallions, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. There's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of movie podcasts out there. But I'm always blown away by you listening. And I'm always so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. And as always, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Before I go into Bill and Ted, I just want to say, as always, thank you for supporting this podcast. Thank you for being here and listening to this podcast. And thank you for listening to previous episodes of this podcast as well. If you have, the most recent episodes that have come out are on There's Something About Mary and William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet from 1996. And so really, this month has had a bit of a 90s flavour to it with those movies specifically. And really, August was about movies that just bring me joy. And each of those movies bring me joy in different ways and... I mean, I think it's pretty obvious if you're a regular listener, what brings me joy about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but it's not just that, I promise. And Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure almost wasn't so excellent. So its original plot had to be changed during shooting, its production company went bankrupt, a major role was left uncast until the last minute, 
and its original ending was abandoned for being, honestly, mostly heinous. So let's go into the story of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. But before we do, let's have a listen to the trailer. Now, a motion picture so grand, so magnificent, and so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston! Who was Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the iron maiden. Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. How's it going, dude? And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Everybody get together and remember who your buddy is. To trash the 20th century. We got a live one here. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, Napoleon. We're from history. Billy the Kid. Oh my God. Joan of Arc. Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother. You a musician? Beethoven. Genghis Khan! Abraham Lincoln. Party on, dudes! Socrates. George Garland. We're history. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's... Excellent! Excellent! Excellent adventure. Party on, dude. In the small town of San Dimas, California, two teenage boys, Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan, have a dream of starting their own rock and roll band, Wild Stallions, despite not knowing how to play guitar and not enticing Eddie Van Halen to join the band. Unfortunately, they're still in high school and on the verge of flunking school as well. If they don't pass their upcoming history report, they will be separated as a result of Ted's father sending him to military school. But what Bill and Ted don't know is they must stay together to save the future. The leaders of the future utopia created by Bill and Ted's music sends Rufus back in time to give them the tools they need to help them to not flunk history. Let's run through the cast. We have Keanu Reeves as Ted Theodore Logan, Alex Winter as Bill S. Preston Esquire, George Carlin as Rufus, Terry Camilleri as Napoleon Bonaparte, Dan Shaw as Billy the Kid, Tony Steedman as Socrates, Rod Loomis as Sigmund Freud, Ad Leong as Genghis Khan, Jane Wheedlin as Joan of Arc, a.k.a. Noah's wife, Robert V. Barron as Abraham Lincoln, Clifford David as Ludwig van Beethoven, Han Landon Jr. as Captain Logan, Amy Stockpointon as Missy, and Bernie Casey as Mr. Ryan. Bill and Ted's Excellent Avenger was written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon and was directed by Stephen Herrick. So Bill and Ted aren't actually Bill and Ted. They aren't even Alex and Keanu. The real origins of Bill and Ted are Ed and Chris, or Chris and Ed, because that rhymes. Screenwriters Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon met at UCLA in 1981 in playwriting class and just became best friends immediately. Their shared love of comedy would lead them to rent a little Hollywood theatre for improv 
which led to then creating three characters studying history who knew nothing about history. Their names were Bill, Ted and Bob. Bob would disappear as they got to know their characters, developing backstories, family lives, parents and siblings, and their friendship with each other. Bill and Ted basically almost became real people. Their initial idea was a sketch film with a Bill and Ted skit, but it'd be a lot darker in tone with Bill and Ted travelling back in time and accidentally causing all the major disasters of world history. Through their time travelling, they were responsible for everything bad that ever happened to mankind including the plague, world wars, the sinking of the Titanic, even the Holocaust. But while the seriousness of the topics was a bit too heavy, Matheson and Solomon loved the idea of taking these characters back into history. Chris's father would suggest that maybe it was worth making a movie just about these two guys and their time-travelling exploits than a movie featuring multiple skits. Chris's father was only Richard Matheson, famous science fiction writer of I Am Legend, and so Matheson and Solomon spent seven days in Lake Tahoe in 1984 on a handwritten outline and four days in LA writing a rough draft, which was called Bill and Ted's Time Van. Bill and Ted had a van by which they could travel through time for unexplained reasons, borrowed from their 28-year-old sophomore slacker friend Rufus, and they would go about collecting historical figures so they would pass their history class so they could keep their band together because 700 years from now, their music would save humanity. So the original script for Bill and Ted's Time Van would feature Bill and Ted travelling to a 7-Eleven, not the Circle K, and ending up in Nazi Germany and taking Adolf Hitler and bringing him back to San Dimas to cause hijinks. And if you're thinking, well, that's what happened with Napoleon, well, they switched their incredibly problematic idea of bringing back Hitler to bringing back Napoleon, who was slightly less problematic. Additional plot points in the spec script that were abandoned, including having Bill and Ted's classmate Randolph time travel with them and taking and then leaving some bullies behind in ancient Egypt, visiting Julius Caesar in the Roman Empire and ultimately leading to his demise, and also helping a prehistoric caveman with the invention of fire so they could light up a joint and play charades together. Obviously, none of those things appear in the finished movie. But what set Bill and Ted apart was the way they spoke and their unique take on friendship. Solomon and Matheson imbued their script with their affection for each other. The dialogue between the characters felt fresh and different to anything else. And the script itself ended up on Hollywood's blacklist, the best list of unproduced scripts. It seemed everyone in Hollywood knew about the script and loved it. It was sweet, goofy and funny a slacker comedy before the reign of slacker comedies. But even then, not really a slacker comedy. These guys were smart guys, just not educationally smart. Warner Brothers wanted to make it for under $10 million, but they couldn't budget for it. So Dino De Laurentiis ended up picking it up through the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. They immediately began hunting for a director and they found Stephen Herrick, fresh off his directorial debut with Critters, which he also wrote. Herrick loved the script so much he was falling off his chair laughing. While the characters of Bill and Ted were originally seen as 14-year-old skinny guys with low-rider bell-bottoms and heavy metal t-shirts who were despised by the popular kids at school, that all changed once casting was underway. Herrick was looking for a partnership, an Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy kind of quality. They auditioned seemingly every young man in LA, at least 200 at Herrick's count. And all were asked to audition for both Bill and Ted. Paulie Shaw was a frontrunner at one point, but then they met Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. 
They met Reeves first and he didn't have comedic experience but was immediately funny by approaching a line reading it quizzically. Winter and Reeves met at Winter's first audition and they immediately hit it off, bonding over their shared love of motorbikes and playing bass. Their rapport and instant chemistry meant that they often got lunch together during auditions which was noted by Stephen Herrick and this close friendship nabbed both the parts, with Winter as Bill and Reeves as Ted. There was no way these guys were skinny 14-year-olds. They were cool, but they were also kind of dumb, kind of nerdy, but also charming and contained the youthful exuberance needed to bring the characters to screen. In between that original spec script and it being picked up for production, a little movie called Back to the Future had come out in 1985 and had been a huge success, also involving time travel. Also in a road-based vehicle, albeit a DeLorean and not a Chevrolet van. Stephen Herrick came up with the idea of using a phone booth and despite popular opinion, it's nothing to do with Doctor Who. In the 80s in California, Doctor Who probably wasn't even a thing over there. And the idea of using a phone booth would be an idea before its time too. Using phone lines to access information anywhere in time? The phone lines would be the circuits of time. You dial a number to access any point in time through the cables which is basically just like dial-up internet. So basically predicting the internet. Bill and Ted would be key rock fans with Eddie Van Halen mentioned frequently. The original three most important people in the world were supposed to be the members of ZZ Top. Bill and Ted screenwriter Ed Solomon knew Clarence Clemens of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, as well as Fee Waybill of The Tubes and recruited them alongside Martha Davis of The Motels for the roles of the three most important people in the world. Continuing with the whole rocker vibe, Herrick cast Jane Weedlin of the Go-Go's as Joan of Arc, with the rest of the cast coming together despite the low budget. Inspiration for filming came from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and even that movie's production designer, Roy Forge Smith, was hired for Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Even the fashion was carefully curated from the youth of 1987 Venice Beach. Full of hippies and skate punks, Alex Winter's words, not mine, he took inspiration for Bill's look from the people around him while he lived in Venice Beach, including the backwards baseball cap with the tuft of hair through the front. It was his idea to draw the Wild Stallions logo on the crop top with a black marker. But as filming started in February of 1987, they were still without a key cast member, Rufus. But they carried on filming around the character. Stephen Herrick encouraged spontaneity during filming, which led to Reeves and Winter in suits of armour playing out lightsaber battles while filming on location in Italy at Odescalchi Castle. Rome also stood in for ancient Greece. Dino De Laurentiis facilitated the Italian shoot with on-location access to buildings that no one had stepped in for over a hundred years. The roof-shaped hole was starting to cause an issue though, as the brisk shooting schedule moved to Arizona because LA was too expensive to film in, and the studio suggested casting Charlie Sheen. The directors and writers, though, they were aiming big. Eddie Van Halen was their top choice. Even Ringo Starr and Roger Daltrey were considered. Sean Connery, too. He loves a good monologue, and he had previous with Time Bandits. But no one seemed to work. And then, at the last minute, producers Scott Krupp and Bob Court suggested George Carlin, whom they'd worked with on Outrageous Fortune and everyone on set was a fan of Carlin's comedy albums and TV work, as well as his political stance. And they were amazed when George Carlin agreed to be in the movie. And now they had their Rufus, they thought he'd be prone to improv. However, he was very controlled and subdued. He took the role seriously 
and he stayed on script. Any additions he wanted to add, he asked permission before he did. And both Reeves and Winter thought Carlin was the absolute dude and he looked the part too, rocking his suit and sunglasses. The establishing shots for the water park scenes were taken at Raging Waters in San Dimas and the actor shots were from Golfland Sunsplash in Mesa, Arizona. Due to the limited budget, the water parks couldn't be closed while they were filming. So everyone in the background of these shots was a paying visitor on those days. To depict travelling through time, they used green screens and a phone booth mounted on a gimbal which would often break, especially with multiple people standing in the booth most of the time. Alex Winter would call it a quote-unquote death ride canoe. This was despite the phone booths being built slightly larger than scale to accommodate more people by Roy Forge Smith. It ended up duct taped to a hydraulic unit in the studio. The original ending of the movie was Bill and Ted presenting a history lesson to Mr Ryan and the rest of the class, and this felt underwhelming and visually ugly. The movie would end with Bill and Ted taking their princesses to the prom as promised. But these wannabe rock stars deserved a rock star ending. So the ending was reshot to include all of the historical characters, a huge auditorium and a concert-like setting complete with lights and music. Extra resources were made available to change it and make it more grandiose. Basically, the whole shoot went ahead with no issues. Everyone had an absolute blast making this movie and production finally wrapped in April of 1987. The initial rough cut came in at 2 hours 25 minutes and included a big opening dance number of Bill and Ted waiting for the bus to school and breaking into a huge air guitar number which had been choreographed and they'd rehearsed at Stevie Nicks' dance studio. Obviously, this scene got cut. Other cut items have no doubt been lost to the passage of time and as you'll soon discover, the downfall of Dino De Laurentiis' production company, DEG. Perpetual Motion Pictures was founded in 1987 to produce the visual effects for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure by creating the circuits of time. But M, I hear you cry. This movie came out in February 1989. Can you tell us this tiny time travel comedy was in post-production for two years? What the hell were they doing? Well, while it had originally been planned for a 1988 release, that didn't happen. And the issue wasn't with them or the filmmakers or the stars or anything like that, but with Dino De Laurentiis. So Dino De Laurentiis was known for his flamboyance and his willingness to spend money. But in January 1988, Time magazine reported on just how big of an issue he was having. The De Laurentiis Entertainment Group was in colossal trouble with creditors owing $122.6 million. Only a year previous, Wall Street speculators were pouring money into the firm, but it lost $20.5 million during the six months ending August 1987, thanks in part to flops such as Taipan and King Kong Lives. To raise cash, the company placed its library of more than 350 movies and its 32-acre studio in North Carolina for sale, but would file for bankruptcy in 1988. The studio would be acquired by Carol Co. in 1989 after DEG went bankrupt and the film assets were acquired by Paravision International and some of the DEG executives ended up at Nelson Entertainment. Everyone making Bill and Ted's Excellence Venture was oblivious at the time, but then things started being noticed, such as when during a meeting between executives and Stephen Herrick, bailiffs walked in and started removing office furniture. Because DEG went bankrupt while the movie was in post-production, it essentially got shelved and everyone who worked on it thought that was it. 
It was shopped around a few other companies by Stephen Herrick, but they just didn't get it and thought it was puerile and childish. Herrick said he found the process hateful, that this sweet, fun little movie just wasn't given a chance. Best case scenario, it'd end up straight to video, and for a year, it just stayed in purgatory. It was screened for test audiences who loved it immediately. While initially DEG executives had worried about the vernacular and it being indecipherable, the opposite was happening. People understood it, and most importantly, they loved it. But then fate came crashing in on its own phone booth. Remember those executives now working at Nelson Entertainment? They could acquire the negatives and the rights, and Nelson Entertainment agreed to finish the movie, and a bidding war started with distributors keen to have a slice of pie. Nelson eventually agreed a release with Orion Pictures as distributor, and Bill and Ted could finally have an excellent adventure at the box office. But before we talk about that release, did you know there's a test for film accuracy based on Bill and Ted's excellent adventure? Fashion historian Hilary Davidson created the Bill and Ted test after noticing that the scene in which they kidnapped Ludwig van Beethoven features surprisingly well-executed costumes for the era. In an interview with Slate, Davidson said, quote, I spent six years writing a book on Regency fashion called Dress in the Age of Jane Austen. I've spent a lot of time looking at genuine Regency dress. I was looking at the background extras and I suddenly paused it and went, hang on a second. I rewounded a bit and went through it in slow motion and went, you know what, this is really, really good. It's a 1980s teen comedy. You don't expect a high standard of costuming. After that, I thought, well, that's it. That's my benchmark. If the main character's costumes in a Regency production aren't better done than the background extras in a 1980s teen comedy, I think you failed in the costume design, unquote. Her Twitter account, if you're interested, is at Bill and Ted Test. And it is fascinating because I'm a fan of period drama. And it's quite funny, actually, that quite a lot of Regency-based period dramas don't actually seem to pass the Bill and Ted Test. So right about now, I'd normally do the obligatory Keanu reference, which is where I link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves, but he's in this movie, so he's already linked, basically. But I did think to myself, what was the last Keanu Reeves starring movie that I did on this podcast? Because it's been a while. And that'll be all the way back in episode 150 on A Scanner Darkly. And it really has been that long since I've done a Keanu movie. So uh, I guess I'd better do some more. But in the meantime, I'll still continue to link him via the obligatory Keanu reference. So really, every episode is a Keanu Reeves episode in some small way. So Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was released on the 17th of February, 1989, the same week as The Burbs. The Burbs would go to number one. Bill and Ted came in at three behind Rain Man. It stayed at number three for its second week before good word of mouth led to it jumping up to second place in its third week. It would stay in the US top 10 for eight weeks. And on its $10 million budget, it would go on to gross $40.5 million. Critics at the time were mixed. Variety gushed over Reeves's beguinedly blank face and loose-limbed, happy-go-lucky physical vocabulary. However, the New York Times' Vincent Camby dismissed Bill and Ted most bogusly as painfully inept. Audiences really loved it. And retrospectively, although there is an unfortunate use of a slur, Otherwise, it holds up quite well and is now widely appreciated as one of the true great 80s comedies, which isn't bad for something that started off as a potential skit. In 2010, San celebrated its 50th anniversary of incorporation as a city with the slogan, San Dimas, 1960 to 2010, 
an excellent adventure. Obviously, the movie would have a huge impact on both actors, but in very different ways. Alex Winter would mostly choose to step away from acting after Bill and Ted's bogus journey, but would carve out a successful directorial career instead. He would return for Bill and Ted Face the Music, but otherwise just appeared in short films and documentaries. He suffered intense and prolonged abuse as a young kid working in theatre and suffered PTSD for years afterwards. After Bogus Journey and getting his name out there, he needed a break from acting. He didn't feel safe or comfortable and decided to pursue a career behind the camera. As a director, his documentary subjects have included the Panama Papers, the leaked documents that revealed offshore tax havens, and Napster, the digital service that shook up the music industry, as well as Showbiz Kids, something he knows all too much about. And Keanu Reeves, well, he went on to have a segment in this podcast referring to him, so clearly the pinnacle of his career. And as I mentioned, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out two years later, and the long-awaited second sequel, Bill and Ted Face the Music, came out in August 2020. There were two spin-off television series, both titled Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. There was an animated series that first ran on CBS in 1990. It featured the voices of Winter, Reeves and Carlin. A second season of eight episodes ran on Fox Kids, with the voice cast of Fox's then-upcoming live-action series, also called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, and that ran for seven episodes on Fox in the summer of 1992. That was delayed from 1991 for the release of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, basically to capitalise on that movie. The roles of Bill and Ted in that live-action show were played by Evan Richards and Christopher Kennedy. No one from the film reprised their roles. In order to coincide with the first movie's release on home video, DC Comics created a companion comic that followed its narrative. Marvel Comics adapted the sequel, which was released to coincide with the second movie's theatrical debut. Due to its success, Evan Dawkins' Bill and Ted's excellent comic book, a 12-issue Marvel series, was created. And Bill and Ted's excellent serial was made by Ralston Purina in the late 80s and early 90s. Like most breakfast cereals of the time, was cinnamon flavoured with mini marshmallows. I don't think you get breakfast cereals like that nowadays because basically they're just full of sugar. You could even get a free audio cassette holder shaped in the image of a phone booth and with a sticker depicting the cartoon versions of Bill and Ted on the front. Let's move over to some social media thoughts. I like to ask all over social media what people think of the movies that I feature. I like to ask over on Patreon. And I also like to ask on Twitter, I'm still calling it Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and threads as well. We're going to start with the patrons and we're going to start with perennial commenter Andy, who says, I'm genuinely shocked this wasn't a much earlier episode. So what is there to say about Bill and Ted? It's really the progenitor of dude comedy with some great nods to history. Shout out to the Go-Go's guitarist Jane Weedlin as Joan of Arc. I will forever sing the Ziggy Piggy song whenever we get a giant Sunday. And I only pronounce Waterloo like the Bill and Ted Napoleon. And we also have a comment from Andy's geek salad colleague, Mike, who says, One of my all-time favourite comedies. It's so refreshing to have a movie involving time travel that doesn't bother dealing with trying to figure out the science of time and how not to mess up history. This is a movie that embraces how goofy and fun time travel can be, and we are all the better for it. The soundtrack was also the very first CD I ever bought. It's still my favourite movie soundtrack. Be excellent to each other and party on dudes. And be excellent to yourselves and have a listen to Andy and Mike's podcast Geek Salad. I do always like to give a plug to patrons who have podcasts. 
So I will put some information in the show notes for their podcast, Geek Salad. And maybe what I'm saying is Andy and Mike are the Bill and Ted of podcasting, which is probably the highest honour that I can give them. We also have a patron comment from Derek who says, A sci-fi comedy about the importance of learning history so that music can eventually bring about a utopian civilization. It's safe to say this classic of childhood had a profound impact on me. What else can I say but I love this movie and always will. My question for you, Anne, is how will you ever find the obligatory Keanu Reeves reference? Well, the answer is, Derek, I didn't find the obligatory Keanu reference. Really, if you think about it, he's just in this movie. So that'll have to do. But Derek also does have his own podcast as well. He hosts it with his wife, Laurel. It is called The Midnight Myth. And The Midnight Myth loves to talk about history. And honestly, I learn so much from their podcasts, especially when they go into history and philosophy and mythology and all of those cool topics. So I'll put information in the show notes for The Midnight Myth as well. And the final patron comment comes from Zoe, who says, Bill and Ted had contributed so much to the cultural zeitgeist of the 90s. Even if you never saw the movie, people knew what you meant when you screamed, Excellent! Which is very true, actually. And really, something like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is right up Zoe's alley because his podcast is Backlook Cinema and he looks back to the cinema of the 70s, 80s and 90s. All the movies that he grew up with and then he introduces them to his son, Zach. So if you love movie nostalgia podcasts, then Backlook Cinema is perfect for you and I will put some information in the show notes for that one too. Moving over to Twitter, we have at Needed Roads who said, I love it and Bogus Journey is even better. I'm sad I never got my Bill and Ted and Wayne and Garth crossover event. At OSW Podcast One said, Classic comedy cinema excellence. At The Woodyot replied with a gif that just says, Excellent. At Bitchin Boutique says, Bill and Ted was one of those movies I saw on a whim at the Dollar Theatre, expecting nothing but getting my mind blown. I instantly had a new top 10 favourite movie and a crush on Billy the Kid. At Ant's Human Stars said, I saw this movie when my gay puberty was kicking in. Would go anywhere in time with these two. At Eric Slader said, Absolutely loved it growing up. I think it mostly aged pretty well too, other than a couple of cringe jokes. That said, the sequels were not great. I actually think this story specifically, not counting the sequels, is due for a remake. It's such a great concept and they could do so much more with it, especially today. At Corona T said, I love this film. I saw it when it first came out and loved so much about it. The lovable Alex and Keanu, the music, the phone booth time machine, George Carlin, and the most excellent history presentation by our heroes. This remains one of often watched faves. At Zach Deuce said, I didn't get to see Bill and Ted until a couple of years ago. I enjoyed it but wish I saw it at an earlier age. I'm sure it would have hit different and would be a favourite of mine had I seen it as a kid. I'll be making sure my kids see them so they don't miss out like I did. And at Unitofam ANC said, Sterling choice. I'm getting the Neapolitan ice cream ready. Ziggy piggy, ziggy piggy, ziggy piggy. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Movies You Missed Pod who says, John here, my wife loves the Bill and Ted movies and she introduced me to them. I really enjoyed Face the Music. And I've only gone and done it again. I missed the patron comment again. Oh, dear. Okay. So this should have been in the patron section because this is Vern from Cinema Recall who says, It's totally bodacious. Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves have great chemistry. 
as do other actors, including George Carlin. Bill and Ted appear dumb, but they are not stupid. They actually have a drive to complete their quest. I showed this to my nephews, who are 16 and 19, and they really liked it. Um, they laughed at many moments while watching it. And Vern is from the Cinema Recall podcast. I totally missed Patreon comments. It's honestly, it's getting harder now because there are more social medias. And sometimes it's very easy to miss. I did actually miss one a couple of weeks ago as well. And sometimes it's just easier to admit you made a mistake than to fix it in post-production. Because, you know, I am human and all humans make mistakes. And sometimes we also flunk out of history. Hopefully not. Hopefully this doesn't make me flunk out of podcast school. But uh, just to let you know that Vern hosts Cinema Recall. It is an excellent podcast. And if you like iconic moments in film and cult movies like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, then you should definitely check out Cinema Recall. I will also put information in the show notes and I will not forget to do that. I promise. Moving back to Instagram, we have at Friendly Sparpod who says, it's truly some of Keanu's finest work and RIP George Carlin. And at Easy Riders Raging Podcast said, it's excellent. And the final couple of comments on Facebook, we have Tony who says, an excellent film. My first introduction to Keanu, a fun and well thought out romp into history. And Mark who says, an absolute classic and an easy Keanu reference for you as he was in the sequel. Yeah, I could use the sequels for the reference, but that kind of seems like cheating a little bit. But, you know, I make up my own rules for the obligatory Keanu reference, and if he's in the movie, then that is the reference. As always, thank you to everyone for your comments on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and if you do want your comments read out in episodes, then the thoughts post, they go up on Fridays, all over social media, and all you need to do is post a comment on that thread, I will find it. I will paste it into my notes in the correct section, fingers crossed. And I will read out your comment in the next episode and I will credit you for your comment as well. Despite being a late 80s movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure goes some way to being pretty timeless, actually. It doesn't even attempt to explain the science behind time travel. And because of this, repeat viewings are actually beneficial. A scene with Ted's father trying to find his keys when we meet him suddenly makes sense when you realise Ted actually steals them later on in the movie by going back in time and taking them beforehand. It's silly, but it's fun. It may be a wacky, absurdist comedy, but it's actually really well written. And Bill and Ted themselves never end up outstaying their welcome, unlike the other slacker comedies that would come later. They may have been a bit dim-witted, but they're good guys, and the chemistry between Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter is absolutely pivotal to this. They may have just been into guitars and girls, like most heterosexual teen boys are, but they also highlight a really important point. The power of learning, where the method of learning is tailored to their individual needs. It's not often that different educational needs are shown in cinema. Bill and Ted are bright guys, but they clearly struggle in a traditional educational system not set up to cater for them. They learn by doing, not by being told facts by a teacher. Their final presentation isn't just triumphant because it's the culmination of our hero's story, but because these kids, who clearly are misunderstood by their well-meaning teacher Mr Ryan and certainly by their parents, actually go back in time, take historical figures and learn from them. They can then recite facts and figures as each historical character is shown on stage. And that's the sort of learning that works for them. 
They learn by doing, not by being told. Sure, you could argue that there was no way they could converse with Socrates, but they're also shown to have ingenuity. They fix the booth, for example, with Coke cans and gum. These kids are smart kids. But what is the definition of smart? Is it academically smart? Is it emotionally smart? Is it physically smart? Is it time travel smart? As a society, we place a lot of our expectations on educational smart, getting good grades, getting a good degree. But it doesn't actually mean that that person is an intelligent person. It just means they have a piece of paper that says they're intelligent. Just the same as it doesn't mean that a person who doesn't have that piece of paper is automatically dumb. And it makes me question how many kids have flunked out of classes when they had the aptitude, but maybe had additional needs that weren't obvious. And hopefully those kids didn't get sent to military school in Alaska. And when they're told they're the future saviors of humanity, they take it in the affable, humble way we'd expect. They're literally just a couple of dudes who want their band to be big. But, you know, it's cool they create this future utopia and all. The strongest emotion in this movie is hope. And this is found beneath the jokes and the misadventures of Bill and Ted. Despite their challenging task and the overwhelming odds against them, everything is working towards a bigger picture that will ultimately benefit humanity. The idea that the difficulties and the issues of humanity will eventually disappear because of music is a nice fantasy. And no doubt one of every garage band in the world who want their music to be the key to peace and tranquility, as well as having a slapping bass. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is not cultured or complex comedy, but it stands apart from other 80s comedies by not relying too much on pop culture or fart jokes. Even though we love a good fart joke, everyone will always know Star Wars and Iron Maiden. But I think most importantly, this film teaches us one thing. And that is the importance of being excellent to each other. And I feel like we can all take that message and apply it to our everyday lives. That co-worker who annoys you, that nosy neighbour who always asks you to mow your lawn. Be excellent to them. Be excellent even if they don't deserve that excellence. Kill them with kindness, shall we say. We might never get that Bill and Ted Wild Stallions utopia, but we certainly won't get it if we aren't excellent to each other. So I'm just going to finish this podcast by simply saying, be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. And just by listening to this podcast, you are helping this podcast. So thank you so much for listening and for helping to spread the word if you have. If you do want to help spread the word, you can by telling a friend or family member about this podcast. You can also leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast, which actually does help other people find this podcast. Or you could follow me on social media. I'm at Verbal Diorama on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Letterboxd. But really, indie podcasts thrive by word of mouth. We don't have big budgets to have big billboards and stuff. So any way you can help spread the word is always going to help a little podcast like mine. And when I say little podcast, I genuinely do mean little podcast. I am small fry compared to the other podcasts that you probably listen to. So it would be amazing if you could help out. And if you like this episode on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, you might also like the following movies slash episodes. And I'm actually going to recommend two because I wanted buddy comedies, but I decided to go for two that are quite a little bit different. 
So episode 52 was on The Nice Guys, which is a great buddy comedy. It's written by Shane Black. We have Ryan Gosling. We have Russell Crowe. And they are not the two people that come to mind when you think of a great buddy comedy. But honestly, it's one of the funniest movies you will ever see in your life. It's absolutely terrific. It's so underrated. Please go out and watch The Nice Guys immediately. I guarantee you, you will love that movie. And then episode 199, Wayne's World, because if we're talking about slacker comedies, then Wayne's World really is one of the kings of slacker comedies. It came out a few years after this movie. And obviously, it itself is based on a skit, an SNL skit. So there's a lot of similarities between Bill and Ted and Wayne's World. I love Wayne's World. I think he's hilarious. It's a double act. You can't really go wrong with Bill and Ted and then Wayne's World. Give me feedback. Let me know what you think of my recommendations. So the next episode is going to be the birthday episode. Every year I do an episode on my birthday and it's one of my favourite movies. And what I'm actually going to be doing is I'm actually going to be taking a well-deserved break from my day job, from the podcast, from everything basically that's going on. I've been incredibly busy over the last few months. I've been doing all sorts of crazy things and it's really starting to take its toll on me. I'm getting really tired. So I've decided to take break week uh, and I'm actually taking the week of my birthday off. But to accommodate that, there's going to be no episode next week on the podcast. If you're listening to this on release week, there's going to be no episode next week. And then the following week is going to be an episode on one of the best rom-coms of all time. One of my favourite rom-coms of all time. Actually, probably my favourite rom-com of all time. I adore it so much. It's so much fun. It's got a great soundtrack. And it's probably the only Adam Sandler movie that I can actually sit and watch. Because I find some of his stuff a little bit puerile. But it is the Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore romantic comedy, The Wedding Singer. which is. Absolutely terrific, and I can't wait to talk about The Wedding Singer. So, join me in two weeks' time for the history and legacy of The Wedding Singer. And if you're a little bit upset with that, well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say. And that is a quote from The Wedding Singer, and I don't quite say it the way Adam Sandler says it, because he's a bit aggressive in that movie. but. Obviously, just don't listen if you don't want to listen to The Wedding Singer, but hopefully you do want to listen to The Wedding Singer. Join me in two weeks for that movie. And this podcast is free and it always will be free. I'm never going to charge for this podcast. But if you do want to help support this podcast, there are two ways you can do that. You can go to verbaldiorama.com slash tips and you can give a one-off tip to this podcast for if you've enjoyed an episode or if you've learned something from an episode. I obviously put a lot of time and research into these episodes. I learn stuff from every episode that I do. So hopefully you're also learning stuff from that research. So that is just a one-off donation. There is no obligation. Or if you want to support me long-term, you can go to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon and you can sign up to the Patreon. There are several tiers available starting at $1 and you can get perks for that as well. And thank you to the amazing patrons of this podcast, to Simon E, Day, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, 
Scott, Brendan, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu, Brett, Philip and Michelle. I don't think I need to tell you that you are excellent. I also do have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch with me. You can email verbaldiorama at gmail.com or you can fill out the contact form over at verbaldiorama.com. And you can also find my work at filmstories.co.uk. You can find the magazine that I write for and articles online too. And finally. And now for our last speaker. One of the greatest presidents in American history. Mr. Abraham Lincoln. score and seven minutes ago we your forefathers were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure conceived by our new friends Bill and Ted these two Great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time, just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Bye. Movie should know. Movie should know. Crimson, crimson.